Welcome to Boldly Lit and On Fire Podcast. My name is Jordani McCoy, also known as Coach Donnie. This podcast was created to deliver enormous value for my tribe. These are people that desire to live a life they are boldly lit and on fire about. And for those that currently live a little life and want even more clarity, certainty, and creativity. My tribe takes radical responsibility for their lives and value the feeling of excitement, expansion, and emotional freedom. Together, we are on the love train, baby, with the purpose of self-love and love for others. So let's get this party started. Well, hello, 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 Joe. What's up? Hey, Donnie. What's up is I'm just tickled by your personality. And so that like that energy was cool. Thank you. (laughs) Bring it on, huh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So one of the reasons I hand selected you, okay, because I'm hand selecting my people, right? Is because you have a boldly lit and on fire kind of energy about you. But it is very zen, very masculine, kind of like this strong, mm. steady pillar. So were you like born that way or what's, what's, what's your story? I wish I could say I was born that way. I certainly wasn't born that way. In fact, I was, so essentially I had really spent a lot of time in my life with fear-based, scarcity-based, risk aversion-based thinking and being and doing, had very low self-worth, even though I had some like general confidence, which are different things, esteem, confidence, and worth, you know. But, you know, I found myself in my high school years having learning disabilities, being well over 300 pounds, actually up and down over 300 pounds several times in my high school years, and really just thinking to myself, you know, I'm never going to have that great of a life. But life defied me. So I stumbled into a position where I was 31. I had a career for about 10 years that I loved because it gave me a lot of flexibility. I was very passionate about the product. I enjoyed the people element and I got married. Mm. But I got married to the second person I ever dated, ever was in relationship with <laughs> after spending many years just not believing I was lovable, not believing that I was attractive in any way. And because I was coming from scarcity and maybe she was too, we just created a toxic mess. So by the time I was 31, she decided it was time to leave. At the same time, I was waking up to the fact that even though I'd been in that career for about 10 years and loved it, I was a guy who was losing passion over time, didn't want to work the retail lifestyle, which I was in retail management, never finished a college degree. So I was like, holy shit, life's falling apart around me. That was the moment. That was the inflection point where I remember this huge shift came on. Joe in his personal life was a total victim and consumer. Everything was impossible. I could tell you a million reasons why I can't. I was so based in anxiety and fear. And that's one of the reasons I was so heavy is because I would just eat all my emotions. And I was either the typical nice guy or a rageaholic, one of the two. I would bounce back and forth between I'm, I'm sweet and I'll bite my tongue and I won't speak up. And then I'll just get really angry when I'm violated too much. So basically at that point, I remember sitting there and going like, well, wait a second. In my career, I've done really well. Um, I've, I rose the ranks quickly. I consider myself a problem solver. I understand what's important. And 
I believe that we are never, we're never stuck. We're never victims of anything in our lives. And I teach this to my, my employees, you know, all the time. And so it was almost like the mindset I had grown professionally all of a sudden shifted to my personal life. And it was like a moment of, okay, you can, you have a choice. You can make a choice to take responsibility, to learn, to understand your body, your emotions, your spirit, your mind, relationships, love, sexuality, like anything you can think of. And then I just went crazy for years. I probably still am on learning and growing and most importantly, integrating skills through action and language. So that's a little bit of the story. You know, I remember the big thing being like, I had built a life that was better than I thought was possible and always thought I could never have anything more. And then when it got taken away from me was like the moment I realized, wait a second, I was always shooting really low to begin with. And I can have more. And I do deserve a great, 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 great life where I'm just lit the fuck up, as I like to say. I hope I can curse on your show. Hey, hey, yes, <laughs> yes. I made that very clear in the introduction. Yeah, okay, all right, cool. cool. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway. Oh, be your thing, be you. I'm all about yeah. being you. So anyway, that was it. I realized that it was about choices. And it was about choosing love over fear, courage over comfort, creation over consumption, as I like to call it now. But really, I got clear and like anything is possible. Human beings are adaptable. So then I lost a bunch of weight and I changed a lot of my mindset and my language and my behaviors and my habits. And it's just been a nonstop explosion of being lit and on fire and doing personal growth my way, as you like to say, yes. for, you know, seven, eight years now. Mm. That's the shortest version of the story I can get. I just no, I try hard. It. No, I think it's and I I'm think always, it's a great story. It's a great story. Thanks. And what excites me about hearing that story is mm. when you discovered that there's a you created more than what you thought you were going to create. Yes. Right? And then from there it sounds like you questioned yourself and you're like, "Damn, I did better than I thought I was going to do. I want more." Well, it was more like I had created a life or accidentally gotten a life that was better than I gave myself the opportunity to create. I was telling myself it was perfect and amazing and happy. You know, we had a condo, we had two good incomes, we didn't have kids, we were fostering our pit bulls, we traveled, we ate well, all these beautiful things that looked like a great life. But the reality is I was miserable and it had to fall apart for me to realize that even though I had the things that looked great on the outside, I still wasn't that happy and I was settling. So that was it. That was like the moment of like, no, 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 no. I was unhappy and settling and I'm done with all that. Done with all that. So there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things I want to kind of ask some questions about. So was your major pivot after you got divorced? And you said victim consumer. Uh, Can you elaborate on that a little bit? (laughs) Well, actually, yes. And that's what I'm lit up to talk about more and more now, because it's taken me a long time to understand some of how I label what I do with people. And I'm really stretching into that recently. And this is a big part of it. So thank you. That's a perfect question for me. So what the big pivot point was, I would say about a two-year period. Late 2012, I was dealing with a kidney stone I needed surgery for. I had woken up to the reality that I'd stopped going for promotions or trying really, really hard to grow in my career. And my ex-wife, at the time wife, told me, hey, I've been going to therapy for a while because I got into this accident. And by the way, we need to talk. And you should come to therapy, right? So the big pivot point was 
that moment, that moment where I finally woke up and was like, oh, wait a second. The life that I thought I loved, maybe it's not that great and maybe I'm going to lose it. And then what happened was when she finally said, yeah, I'm out. It was this period of I chose like choosing to learn about how human beings work and how I work and then choosing to constantly apply that learning over about a year and some change. By the same time, a year later in 2013, I'd lost over 100 pounds. I was dating multiple wonderful women with integrity my way. I had a whole new social life. I felt more confident. I had rather gotten the connection with my body. So it was a period that first year and then probably about the next year where I finally get the courage to leave my old career. That was the huge, huge, huge pocket. But the main pivot point was like when I realized my life wasn't so great and the moment that she told me I'm done and I chose, okay, we can make some changes here. Got it. Got it. Got it. And the consumer victim, (laughs) that's probably easier to explain. So I really subscribe to taking on a mindset of complete ownership and responsibility. And now I know that sometimes those words can get really confused. It doesn't mean abdicating the things that suck in life. It doesn't mean that at times there aren't other people that have some strings of control upon us. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means that I take full ownership for the outcomes in my life. I take ownership for the mindset that I use. I take ownership for my actions and my language. I don't blame anyone else. I don't blame society. I don't blame the world around me. And now I say that even as I'm doing work on like understanding privilege and oppression, even within myself, right? And understanding that, that there are outside forces that influence us big time. But the main thing about ownership is understanding like, it's not my fault, it is my responsibility. And responsibility meaning I have complete consciousness of my choice and I can always say yes, no, maybe, or I can put other menu items on the, on the menu that weren't there. And so really this consumer creator, consumer victim thing is about a lot of us get stuck in this place of victimhood. We always say that there's a perpetrator who's violating us and making it hard for us to live the life we want. We always look for someone to rescue us. And when we're not in the victim role, we're always trying to rescue someone or we're perpetrating unconsciously. So to me, there's this massive shift and the overarching shift being from victim, which is like, this is the Cartman drama triangle in you know, a lot of psychology. I don't know if I love the victim language. I think a lot of us have been conditioned to be consumers, to consume the beliefs from our childhood, to consume the beliefs of the culture around us, to unconsciously consume food, media, content, friendships, entertainment, experiences, vacations. We get very unconscious with what we consume and we're focused on consuming rather than creating a life. So to me, there's a big shift to creator. And from looking for perpetrators to recognizing challengers, like when my wife was, came to me and said, hey, I'm done, I'm out, I could have taken a huge victim stance. She ruined my life. She decided to leave what we had committed to. Instead, I chose, well, I have the opportunity to use this as fuel to create the life I want. And then finally, we really believe that there's no one that can rescue us. So instead of looking for rescuers, We look for coaches, we look for teachers, we look for people that'll help us grow skills rather than get us out of the bind. Because Donnie, I could ask you to get me out of a a shitty moment in my life and I can ask for your help and support in that and you can create solutions for me and you can do things for me. 
But at the end of the day, if I get into a rough spot again, I'm no better than I was. I just need you to rescue me again. So we're more focused on building constant skill set and mindset to take full ownership and responsibility to rise to challenges and obstacles instead of being in a place of just unconsciously consuming and blaming others and feeling like everyone's out to get us. To me, the, the, the main point is like love over fear. Can I choose love? Can I choose creativity? Can I choose problem solution orientation versus problem orientation? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of in a nutshell. And you know, I, I could and many people could do like hours long trainings on that, on that concept, that topic. But that's hopefully a, a version that helps you understand. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. I love, 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 love how you clearly laid out how we consume everything. And, you know, I like your consumer more than I do victim. I like it because it's so descriptive. It's very descriptive. We do. We consume the news. We always feel like we need another certification. We need another class. We need another. Someone said this to me the other day because I've been doing some meditations online. And yep. someone I know said, oh, you should take a meditation. I don't need to take a meditation class. I, I know how to meditate. I'm like, I'm, I'm good, you know, <laughs> not trying to be funny or anything, but I don't need that class to validate what I already feel that I know and I'm pretty confident with. So exactly. and a lot of times that. we get so stuck in consumer. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I hope that whoever's listening to this, I know someone that's listening to this is going to resonate. I know because that is the world that we live in. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Can I make one more interesting point about the victim consumer? Please. So in the content that's been created by the world of psychotherapy, it really calls it victim, victim orientation, victim mindset. One of the reasons I don't love that is because A, I, I know that I don't love identifying as a victim. It doesn't feel right for me. That doesn't help me grow or change to say, ah, being a victim. But the other thing is, it's a little, ins- it's, it's amazing this comes from the world of psychotherapy because it's a little insensitive to people's traumas and people's realities of being victimized. So there's this real clear point I want to make, which is I've probably, there's probably been some victimization of me this week. Somebody has probably violated or perpetrated me that doesn't mean that I will take on a victim mindset. So that's the distinction there. We do get victimized. And many people have been given disadvantages by the universe, by the way our systems are set up, by their family of origin. Heck, I I happen to have a body where it's so easy to gain weight and it's so easy to have digestive problems, right? Like we have real challenges. We do get victimized. We do get violated. The world is crazy and fucked up and puts people in a lot of bad situations. So the difference between that, the the experience of being victimized and the identity of being in a victim mindset. So, So that's why I like to make that distinction. Consumer to me is more about our choices and it's about what we allow in and out of our minds, our bodies, what we allow our time to be spent on, where we allow our thoughts to go. So that's a real big reason why I, I think it's important to be putting that consumer mindset on. Because like, we have been trained to be good consumers in our current world. So there's nothing wrong with you for doing that. Yeah, no, you know, it's so funny. I did a live one, one time on my page and someone made a comment that I used the word victim. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said that it was really insensitive. Mm-hmm. 
And he said that there are real victims. Yeah. He said there are real victims. And he used to work with women that were sexually assaulted. Yeah. That they are victims. He says, I don't know how you can put those two in the same category. And I said, I am not putting them in the same category. However, I understand that it is the same word and it is it's triggering. And I don't like that. I love that. I'm going to have to come up with my own, Joel, because I can't be stealing your stuff. You know, I like it because and I agree it, it is a tad bit insensitive. It is because say if I've been going through some personal things and I'm feeling a little whatever, mm-hmm. I don't want I don't me acting like you're being a victim right you know that's not gonna make me feel too good and and it's actually i feel like it feels heavy when someone says that it's like a heavier energy and that's a big big deal for me i hate heavy energy but let's keep it light and consumer to me is very light i love that yeah yeah totally and and, you know and a big part of creator mindset is choosing the language that works for you and not letting anyone's labels be the ones that you have to choose. So yeah, that's exactly it. When we can find the language that works, when we can find a conceptual, and there's complexity. I can be, I can actually be a victim and a creator at the same time. You know, we have multiple pieces of us in our identity. So that's why I never like to frame things in like, this is the bad part of you. No, it's just the consumer. We have to consume. I want you to consume good stuff. I want you to be conscious of your consumption and I want you to know, be aware of when your or your mental orientation is problem focused versus creativity and solution focused, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I also think that that helps because sometimes a lot of people have a hard time differentiating between am I being a victim seeking out support, maybe from friends oh, and family, yeah. right? Am I being victim-y by doing that? Because we also don't want to walk through life by ourselves. Uh, so I, I, yeah. the way you explain it is consumer. So I can consume the love and support that I'm getting from my friends and family, right? Yeah. And I can also decide not to consume that I'm in this helpless kind of mindset. Exactly, I yes. have no power and whoever it is that's doing whatever, saying whatever, has all the power over me. Yes, that's a big consumer mindset is I can't ask for help without seeming like a victim or a problem or burdening people. Or creator is like, no, my job is to create my court of support and I got the people in my life who I know where to turn to when I'm struggling, when I'm having challenges, when I'm facing obstacles. Actually, a big part of the consumer is, or the creator mindset is knowing like, oh, Uh, Not only can I have help, it is always there for me. And receiving is very different than taking, you know, that whole give to get or give to give and taking versus receiving, right? So so these are just really important. There's a lot of little nuances. You know, a lot of time I think personal growth is really just understanding small nuances that help to create a 10% shift in my thinking and my behavior. Mm. And as I keep making these little 10% shifts before I know it, you know, I'm, I'm 100% different down the line. Yeah, that's awesome. So you have another, I'm going to call it a pillar. I don't know if that's sure. what you call it, but you have another pillar I've heard you talk about, and it's consumer to creator and then creator to scientist. Oh, the student, the student scientist. Okay, yeah. there we go. There we go. So what's that about? How does that like benefit someone that might be listening? Yeah, yeah. So this, the, this is part of, 
this is kind of like underneath. This is a concept kind of underneath the consumer creator distinction or pillar. You do you. Be a creator. Call it whatever you want, Donnie. <laughs> so it could be a pillar, a distinction, a system, whatever, right? But what that one's about is that is actually about that's when it comes to action. So creator, consumer, consumer creator, and the whole victim triangle versus the empowerment dynamic, empowerment triangle, that's very high level. That's in the place of thinking and orientation and how I create relationships with myself and others. Student scientist is when it comes to the student being someone who is always looking for the right answer. They spend more time educating and learning than taking action. They think that they always have to know more. They think it's about information. And they're always looking for an external source of validation to give them the proper grade on their work, if you will. When they actually don't follow through or when they don't actually get the result that they wanted or they don't get the A or the cookie or the whatever you want to call it, the trophy or the medal for being a good student, they then fall into like the victim mentality. Now, the difference being the scientist, they don't create identity around what they do in life. They know that many parts of life are about do, setting up good experiments. I have a hypothesis. I'm going to test it. And if, I, if my hypothesis is not right, I'm not fucked up, broken, or fragile, or there's not something wrong with me. I'm not a shameful person. I'm a good scientist. I collect the data. I decide what's valid. I take in that data. I integrate it. And then I set up another experiment. Right. So this is very much about action orientation. It's about letting go of the idea that we can fail. Like I remember I was in a, a men's group years ago, right when I was leaving my retail career. And I had this powerful piece of shadow work where I was so afraid, like if I take the leap, I had a chunk of money. I'm like, I take the leap. It wasn't a lot of money. It's like, I take the leap. I have like eight to 10 months to figure out how to create some sort of business for myself, which was ridiculous, of course. And being so afraid, like what if I fail? I failed when I went to college because I never finished college. Technically, you could say I failed in this career because like I did it for 14 years and I didn't get to like the top of the organization and now I'm gone. So somebody helped me realize like those aren't failures. Those are just parts of life where there was time for a change, where something didn't fit for you, where you learned something important about yourself. And, and essentially, I remember leaving that, that experience, that group going, oh, there is no failure. There's only life. So the scientist is very committed to constantly taking action and getting data and information about who they are, about their relationships, about their challenges, about their industry, they're always collecting information about self. And they're always applying new experiments. And they're not identifying their self-worth with those experiments. The student is the opposite. And I know I'm rambling like a quick example. No, you're good. You're good. I, I, I think it's very clear. Yeah, cool. So clients that I work with, so often, I don't know what's going to work for them. <laughs> love it. I love it. No, I'm for real. Like, if somebody yeah. says, Joe, I want to build a morning routine. I'm being a scientist right now. <laughs> being the scientist. No, I'm always in scientist, right? Because yeah. I tell people this. People go, well, what will you do with me when we work together? So, I don't know. I know we're going to focus on deepening into some understanding your values. I know we're going to do specific work on your emotions. Depending on what we talk about, we'll probably do specific work on your patterns and habits and your relationships. But how does that look? 
once we're into the work a couple of months? I don't know. So what it might look like is coming up with an experiment and seeing what you learn about yourself and if it works. So like for me, when I wanted to start waking up at 5 a.m., I decided I was going to wake up at 5 a.m. That time in my life, I was like all warrior, all discipline, all willpower. Most of my clients, I can't, they can't just decide they're going to wake up two hours earlier. The majority of the time, they have to set up a slow trickle. Like, okay, I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes back and then 15 more. And then I'm going to allow myself to snooze once for a week. And then I'm going to no longer allow the snooze. And then I'm going to get to 6 a.m. So different strokes for different folks. Everything works, but nothing works for everyone all the time. Right. So when I'm working with a client, I might, one guy might be working on understanding how they relate to sadness. And I might tell him, well, you know what? Why don't you this week watch three sad movies and journal after? Because he's into movies. Someone else, I might go, all right, you just told me about these five betrayals in your life that you've had with women or whatever. So guess what? Sit down and I want you to actually either journal or just in your mind, recall these betrayals and see what you can feel. Can you access them in your body? Can you feel the emotion? What can you learn about yourself now that you're remembering them intentionally two, three, four, five years later? And then come to me with your understanding of grief. Where the other guy, I might go, all right, watch these movies, feel it in your body, and tell me what grief feels like or sadness feels like and where you've abandoned it and bypassed it and blah, blah, because dudes, we don't, we don't love to hang out with sadness and grief. You know, it's not one of our things, mm-hmm. usually. So that's an example of like, we're always creating experiments. Now, if that person watched one movie and was like, I wasn't into it, I wasn't feeling it. I didn't want to keep doing it. I'm not going to shame them be like, you didn't do the homework. What's wrong with you? I'm going to go, okay, great. So you learned that's not that effective for you. What are we going to try this week? So it's a process. So it's being process oriented rather than like getting the right answer. You know, there's something I've had a lot of clients do actually, I'm sure it's not a woman thing. I'm sure it's a, it's a human thing, but it's, so I've had a lot of clients write a letter to money. Oh, that's great. I just, I have them write the letter and then we, some clients are just very organic. And I've noticed there's usually a lot of resistance around writing that letter. Yeah. It's interesting what everyone finds out. Like some might say, oh my God, I handle my money because of my ex-husband. This is how my ex-husband did it. Yep. And I'm still doing it that way. I handle it because of my stuff. But you, you, you never know. You really don't know who's running the right. show sometimes, right? Until you yeah. kind of go in a little deeper. Right. Because, you know, as I do the emotional competence work, somebody might avoid hard conversations with their partner because they've always felt like they're too overbearing and that they have too many demands and blah. Somebody else might avoid hard conversations with their partner because their parents never, ever, ever showed them disagreement. And because with their first girlfriend, anytime he spoke up with disagreement, she withhold sex for three months or so, you know, like, mm. so for me to pretend like I know the answer and the path and the way for each person doesn't really work. And so I tell people up front, like, we're just going to do a lot of experiments for you to understand how to do you in a different way. And that's part of that creator process. And that's part of choosing to be the scientist. But the bottom line is like making sure that we don't look at our, the things that we try and do to improve our lives as pass fail. Mm. Just don't want to look at it as pass fail. Mm. You know, oh, you, you know, I said I would exercise more this week. I didn't do it. I'm broken. No, let's get deeper. Let's understand why you didn't do it. Let's get more data and let's try a new experiment. 
Got it. So do you have any science experiments going on right now? What are you experimenting? (laughs) All right. Okay. So, you know, I always have a lot of science experiments. I've been doing a science experiment with body, my body, my relation to my body recently, where so about a year and change ago, I met an amazing, amazing woman. And we are growing a beautiful, very intentional partnership. I am a guy who lost 150 pounds without crazy intense exercise, without crazy diets, without surgery, but with a lot of awareness of things like meal timing and things like, uh, you know, macronutrient balance. Those were all very important. And then here comes this woman in my life who has no problem having dinner at nine or 10 o'clock and who is like bread and butter and cheese, like run through her veins, you know, it's like, and she has this beautifully healthy relationship with food. So during this pandemic that we are in, I've gotten way friendly with cookies and beautiful local bread and like, really, I mean, like digging in. Yeah. So for example, I used to do sweet potato in my, in the morning for my car after my workout. And now I'm like, hold on. What does it look like for me to have a loaf of bread and enjoy it and have a couple slices? What I learned is I love that and I might not want to have, you know, the loaf of bread and the bagels and the cookies in the house. I might just want the loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. So next week, I'm, I'm buying one loaf of bread from my local bakery instead of three or four things. And I'm stocking up a little more on apples and carrots, right? That's like an example of the experiment yeah. proved to me that I can live well with these beautiful, delicious, amazing foods that I used to think were bad for me, quote unquote. And it proved to me that I can, but maybe I overdo it a little when there's too much in the house, right? So this is a small experiment with that. In professional life, I've been creating a lot more. I've been much busier. Now, coming from 15 years in retail, when I start, when I left, I decided this mother effer, he's not working on weekends. He's not working on nights. I own my calendar. I own my schedule. I'm a business owner, whatever. Like that was real important. Well, five years later, and I'm recognizing maybe I can be more flexible. Maybe in this moment, I'm so lit up by what I'm doing that it's not a real problem to work more or to work at odd hours. So I know that sounds like a small thing, but for me, I've created so much boundary to have a life of freedom and ease and joy and simplicity. And now I'm doing things like I signed up for a co-working service where I started last week. I loved it. Sunday night. All I want to do on a Sunday night is finish my food prep, sit and watch TV, sit on my balcony, listen to the birds, relax. Like that's like a religious thing for me. But recently my priorities have shifted. So I'm testing. What if I spent three and a half hours with 60 other people on Zoom, setting, preparing for my week, doing work that always falls through the cracks? Will that be more liberating or will that be more restricting? So I'm in this place of not knowing and I'm in this place of trying it. And I know that might sound simple, but there's a deep relationship to time, energy, money, my values, my identity mm. that's showing up through mm. both of those examples. So yeah, I'm always, I don't even know, I probably have four other experiments I'm not even thinking about in this moment. It's always an experiment. I don't like I don't like clear black and white lines a lot in my life, so I'm always kind of running an experiment. Like, what's what's going on right now? And that's to me also how we integrate and constantly grow is to not get stuck in rigidity where we think we're fragile if we only do this or that or the other thing. It's like I'm going to cross train. I'm going to be robust, resilient, anti fragile, if you will, in all parts of my life. 
this is great. This is becoming a common theme. So this means I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing, I'm picking the right people. So what it sounds like, okay, correct me wherever I need to be corrected, but you are boldly lit and on fire about the life that you've created and the life that you're living. And you're excited about it because you're living according to your values. Got it. Yeah. So this is so funny. I said this on the, on my other episode, there is a quote. I don't know where I saw it. God only knows I have to find it because I keep saying it over and over again, but it has nothing to do with our to-do list and so much more to do, whether we're on fire lit up about what we're doing, because when you're excited about what you're doing, it doesn't matter if you do it on a Sunday night. Yes. Yes. It really doesn't matter because you're excited to do it. But when you're not excited to do it, you're always looking for a way to stop doing it. Exactly. Exactly. So things happen. You're right. So totally. Literally, what I've found to be the most powerful thing with my clients is when we first start, we do a couple sessions around mindsets. So we, we do all this stuff like consumer to creator, student scientist. I have another one. I talk a lot about acorn theory from James Hillman, just like. Only the acorns that get buried in the dirt and muck and shit and rained on are the ones that ever germinate to become an oak tree, the symbol of life, blah, 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 right? So we do a lot of mindset work. We do creating help creating their vision for what they really want. And then the next, I'll be honest, anywhere from two to six sessions, depending on the person, how talkative they are, what else is going on in their life. We're just focused on them understanding their own values and consistently taking more action that aligns with the values. Then once they know their values, then we're going into the emotional competence work as I talk about it. Because you actually have to know your values very clearly to have competence around your emotional experiences. Because our emotional experiences so often are based around how we think the world should work and what we value. So that's so vital. The values are so, so vital. So important. I think for five years, I had a um, note card in my wallet that had my list of values. And I would change it all the time. You know, I would like just, you know, when I change it up, you know, scratch one out, add another one. Eventually, I just started keeping it on my computer as a notepad. You know, it's like, it's on my iPhone, it's on my computer. But literally, find it helpful to teach clients, like, let's get clear of your values. And then walk into a room being like, I'm focused on this value right now. Start your day. Be like, today's value is, is service. Mm-hmm. Today's value is well-being. Nice. You know, today's value is family. Like, and just start practicing being aware and committed to them. So you're, you're definitely onto something. If you've been illuminating how people get lit up and on fire about life and about growth because, because they've understood how their action relates to their values, it's a beautiful jumping off point for understanding of boundaries, emotions, relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you could say to a business partner, a friend, a child, a lover, like, hey, I got really upset yesterday. It's because in that moment, I realized that my value of freedom felt compromised. I sat down, I've thought about it, I've realized it's not actually a compromise of freedom, but in that moment, it felt like it looked like it. And I responded to you in that way out of fear of losing freedom. Like, you're going to have great connections and relationships and, you know, so there's just so much capacity to understand and link those three things, the values, emotions, boundaries to make a life that 
helps us live and feel lit the fuck up. Yes. Or boldly lit and on fire. No. <laughs> so, you know, I always say to people that I work with, we're not looking for more things. We're looking to ignite certain emotions. We yeah. want certain emotions ignited and we want to, to live those. Some of my top values, uh, love, connection, freedom. Freedom's a big oh. word. Although they say that's a masculine value. <laughs> They always, they always say that freedom is a very masculine value. That's okay. I own it. Whatever. I don't care. So what are, you, what are your, some of your top values? So a lot of my values, you know, my values are always rotating, but at the top, love. Mm. I mean, right now in my life, love is the top value. I would say we're to that. And again, it's hard to take anything and say it's not love, but let's just say the next one is service. For me, a growing value over the last few years has been soul and spirituality. Expansion, just the idea of constantly being able to grow in every possible direction and not all the time, like knowing that there's a certain pace to it. Uh, Another value is, and I I actually find these two linked. I don't know how to divorce them, but mindfulness and sensuality. Personally believe that we do mindfulness so that we can become more aware of our senses, so we can experience more of the moment and be more present and have more joy. So like those two are really connected. And then just well-being. I cheat. Like I like to do bucket values. So well-being to me is a, it's like when you value and prioritize emotional health, spiritual health, relationship health, physical health, and well-being is really important. So those are some of the things that really light me up and get me excited. And, but, and it's also always evolving. Like it's taken me the last couple of years to realize freedom is super, super high on my list too. Actually, my mission in life is about helping people find more love and freedom. Yes, yes. I love emotional freedom. I love to just feel emotionally free and that there's not a grip over my heart. Nothing has a grip over my heart mm. and I'm just free. I, I can't think of anything more liberating than that for me. So you you did a live one time. I want to kind of touch on this real quick and then we'll be wrapping up. You did a live one time and I thought it was so profound and you mentioned it right now. You kind of touched on it. And I know that it's going to bring value because it brought me a lot of value. It was regarding a yoga, yo, I think yoga and stillness. Mm. And you just said it right now. You said mindfulness and sensuality. Yeah. Oh my God. You dropped gold on that live. I was, I, you know what? You, I wanted to enroll in a yoga class, damn it. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not teaching a yoga. Oh, I mean, my, no, I know. I know you're not teaching <laughs> yoga, but no, but, but the way you brought yeah. the two together and, yeah. and how stillness and mindfulness, how they go together. And I bring this up because mm-hmm. some of the people that I know, some of, the, some of my clients, some people that I associate with, they are constantly on the go. And they will say, right. they will say, I don't like to be bored. I don't like to stop. I don't like to stay still. They will say that. And when people say that, I normally shut my mouth. But if you're my client, I ask yeah. you, well, can you ask me why? What, what are you afraid of stating? Like, what, what does staying still, does that scare you? What, what emotion mm-hmm. do you think is going to come up when you stay still? Right. So can you elaborate just a little bit on that? And then, because mm. I, I thought that that was really profound. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I've been doing lives five days a week, so I have no oh, clue. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but, but that's okay, because 
really what I hear you saying is that a lot of your clients, listeners, people in your life are very, very, very in the, what I want to call like the addiction of efficiency and speed and productivity, which is rampant in our world. And so what I hear you also saying is you're aware that your job is to help them understand that there is some fear of slowing down, that there is some fear of being still, that there's an uncomfortable experience that comes up around that. So I'd be curious to know from you, like, what are some of the things that you learn from people in those moments where you confront them? And when I say confront, I don't mean it in like a, like angry way. I mean, like somebody has brought a truth and you show them that truth, which is confronting as fuck a lot of the time. Like, so when you, when you confront that reality, when you confront that, that, that experience of not being willing to slow down, what do you learn about people? What are they telling? What are they telling? Yeah. So they've told me, uh, one common emotion is guilt. They feel guilty because they know they should be doing something. There's something to do. There's always something to do. And the fact that I'm just sitting here, uh, there's always something to do. And so they feel guilt. And if they sit too long, then worry, anxiety, all that starts to come up because is there something piling up? So. So with different people, depending on what their fear is and why their fear is that way, then I I like to play around in that area, obviously, Mm. because there's a beauty in stillness. I was listening to Jarek Robbins, okay? And he was talking about how he helped someone that was on the verge of really sad, depressed because his girlfriend left Mm. him. And Mm. he gave him an assignment, kind of like what you did on one of your lives with your client. You're like, man, Donnie's really listening to my lives, huh? I'm a good consumer. (laughs) That's hilarious. So so he he said, hey, I got a challenge for you, okay? He said, do me a favor, go outside. And I want you to look and pick out in your environment three things you've never seen before. Pick out three things you've never seen them before. It's your first time. And I Mm. want you to stay still. And I want you to tell me how you feel. How you feel. Is it cool outside? Is it warm outside? Is there a breeze? Is the sky blue? How do you feel? And I just did it. I did it. I was like, you know, I'm going to do this, whatever. Right. And it was crazy, Joe. It was crazy. There was a peacefulness that came from doing that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is great. This little mm-hmm. pick out three things, take a deep breath, feel. And it was at that moment, it's going to sound crazy to some people, especially the people that live in Chicago. It was at that moment that I actually learned to appreciate cold, crisp air. Yes, now we're talking. And I was like, oh my God, this cold, crisp air is beautiful. <laughs> Makes you know, no sense. Because yeah. before that, I was always like, I don't like this weather. But there was something about stopping, picking out three things okay, <sighs> that I've never seen before. Right. Take some deep breaths and just stand still. 
and just yeah. analyze how do I feel? Do I feel at peace? Is there, you know, am I feeling, if I'm feeling something, what am I feeling in my throat and my stomach? Oh, yeah. What, what, what's going on? It was, it was profound. Uh-huh. It's sometimes it's so simple, like joy and aliveness and peace are actually, it's simple. We have to like cut away the things that block us from how easy they are to get to actually. You know, you're reminding me, I had a coach who I was talking about how I'd noticed restlessness coming up a lot. Mm. And he was like, great, here's what you get to do. <laughs> He's like one of these badass, crazy, spiritual guru guys that also is like in perfect fitness. It's like, all right, what's, oh, what's going to happen? Right. Yeah. He's like, yeah. go That's deep anywhere and everywhere. He was like, look, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put yourself in a room. You're going to have no electronics in the room. You're going to close any curtains or windows or shades. And you're going to spend three hours in that room. And there's one rule. You can't touch anything. Like, cool. I mean, you can sit down, whatever. You can sit on the floor. You can lay down, whatever. But you can't touch an item that's not where your body is resting. And I started doing that. And it completely blew my mind that what sounded horrible and excruciating, once I surrendered to that experience 20, 30 minutes in, it was actually peaceful and rejuvenating. And I got to hear myself and feel myself. And I noticed this concept of boredom actually kind of melt away really quickly. So it doesn't sound crazy to me. There's so many things we can do to transform our life through mindfulness and stillness and sensuality. So I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to have to go find that video now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it in my notes with, your, yeah, with yeah. all your information and stuff. Because that was, I mean, you have amazing content. I mean, Joe, look, guys, Joe's the bomb, okay? He really, really is. <laughs> No, you are. You are. And you have a great way of explaining things and you and, and that's a, I follow a lot of people, but you have really, really you created your own lane. So I honor you for that. And I if if I valued it and I found it mm -hmm. to be profound, I know that that my people will, too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. You know, I feel like you and I would probably go forever. So, yeah, no, um, I know. So I want to thank you, Joe, for coming on here and dropping gold. I think you dropped a lot of gold. I really, really, really did. And I know that someone listening will be able to relate to a lot of what you said. So I appreciate you. And if someone wants to get a hold of you, how is the best way to do it? Oh, thank you so much for asking. First of all, I'm grateful for this. I'm inspired by you. And I mean, there's so po podcasts are everywhere. And to be able to say like, I'm starting one, it's going to be valuable and it's going to really serve people is amazing. And it's bold and it's wild and wonderful. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love these long form conversations. That's what I like listening to. That's what I like doing. So thank you. Thank you for jumping in. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad to be able to speak to your audience. If people want to connect right now, the best way, two ways, you can reach out to me directly uh, at joe at dropthearmor.com. Feel free. Email me. Drop me some questions. Or you can actually just go to Facebook and search Drop the Armor Dojo, like dojo, like a martial arts dojo, D-O-J-O, and request to join because... I'm dropping a lot of these lives you're talking about, these distinctions, these teaching points into this Facebook group all the time. 
And it's actually pretty small because I'm only, for the most part, inviting people directly or they're hearing about it through stuff like this. I'm not advertising it. I'm not doing blank. You know, people invite everyone on their friends list to their Facebook group or the thing. I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing it. So it's small, but there's really beautiful engagement from amazing people who come from all walks of life and like personal growth um, practitioners, personal growth uh, practicers, really dope really amazing conversations are coming up and it's a closed group. So people are being more authentic and vulnerable and honest and dropping the armor more themselves. So we can together in community practice, choosing love, choosing creation, choosing courage. Yeah. So that's where I would say drop the armor dojo or just Joe at Joe, uh, drop the armor.com. Yes. I'm in your group, of course. And I love as a woman and for women listening there are guys in personal development. They exist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there'll be a ton more. Yeah. And I see. And I'm so glad that you coach men. I think that's like one of the first things I said to you. I'm like, oh, my God, a male coach. Thank God. And I see the guys in your group. They're really engaging. And they're they're deep. They're, they're pretty deep. Oh. So I love it. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing all everything that you do. And if anyone wants to reach out to Joe, I promise you there'll be tons of value and gold in that. So please feel free. And until next time, everyone, I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Boldly Lit and On Fire podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please reach out to me directly at boldly.lit at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.